Welcome to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Wednesday, August 11th, 2021, and I'm your host, Justin Nielsen. And once again, I'm joined by my partner in crime, Arusha Pires of O'Neill Global Advisors, uh, the former podcast host, but joining me each week. He hasn't gotten sick of me yet. And as our guest today, we have George Young from Villery and Company. Now, Villery and Company has been around for 100 years with wealth management. And so George is part of the fourth generation. So we'll kind of talk about what his company has learned over its 100-year span um, out of New Orleans. Welcome to the show, George. Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So on today's show, we'll be doing things a little bit different. We're going to talk with George a little bit about trends versus fads, um, why he focuses on small caps, the things he's learned. Um, We won't get into his honey-making hobby that he had a while back, but I just wanted people to know that that was something uh, that was out there, as well as mountain climbing for George. Um, And then we'll also talk about some of the stocks that are on his radar and we will wrap it up with our third segment on the market and a few stocks with Arusha and I. So uh, we'll just, let's start it out. And uh, George, tell us a little bit about, again, being in the fourth generation. The first thing that comes to mind is for each generation, did you have like the people, the, the, the sons or daughters that wanted to do things differently and wanted to do it their own way? Um, what, what did you learn from that process or what has your business learned from that process? Sure. So I've been here since 1986. So mm-hmm. obviously our industry has gone through a lot of changes. Right. Uh, one of the things that I helped to do was to put in a mutual fund, which was a foreign concept. And we started our first mutual fund in 1999, the Villary Balance Fund. And that was an interesting tool because it really allowed uh, those that didn't have our minimum to use our investment style. So our minimum is a million dollars. We charge 1% on our separate, uh, separately managed accounts. We charge approximately the same amount uh, for our Villery Balance Fund, but it allows people with a lower threshold to get in. So a $20,000 IRA, a gift to a grandchild, that sort of thing. Right. It really accommodated that sort of investing. It's a good way to diversify. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was what you brought to the table, I guess, uh, in, a, in, a, in a big way. Um, very different. Um, were there other lessons that you would say in terms of style? Um, did someone you know, have you always had the same style with this family business or was it, oh, we're going to be growth oriented? Oh, you know what? Maybe we should switch to value, small caps versus big caps. Or has it always been, these are the lessons we've learned and we're going to pass them down from generation to generation? Well, the interesting thing is if you talk about the difference in styles, those are subtleties. Uh, Those were subtleties uh, if you go back 50 years ago. Uh, There was the use of the term value. There was a use of the term growth. But again, uh, when you're talking about my great grandfather that started this building and his son, my grandfather, they were trying to convince people just to buy common stock as opposed to bonds because investing in common stock uh, in the 30s and 40s was really kind of a new idea and very risky. Uh, Bonds were the way that that, that people went. So it's funny because the things that we think of now as being important concepts you need to distinguish it was much more basic than that. It was very academic just to understand the difference between a stock and a bond. Uh, mm-hmm. And then also uh, a huge difference, and I came in about the middle of this, is holding paper certificates. Um, right. That's something that investors today aren't aware of. Bearer bonds, that's something, that you, something you read about in movies. You don't see those anymore. Uh, those were fading as I started in 1986. So I'm feeling like the old man of the, the, of the investment generation here. Right. And so now it's your, your uncle and your uh, uh, cousins uh, doing this. Yes. Do, you, do you have the next generation set up? 
Um, that's under discussion. How about that? Okay. <laughs> it's an interesting niche. Uh, and we we'll don't want you to you... disclose anything and surprise. <laughs> no, <laughs> I won't anyone. do that. Uh, a lot of that's unknown, but, yeah. um, so far it's, it's just been guys there, there could be a, uh, a daughter, a niece, who knows coming in here, anything can happen. We're open-minded. Now, George, uh, you, you mentioned 86 when you started immediately, I started to think about 87. Yes. Uh, Talk about that experience. I mean, your first year, first year and a half into it, and all of a sudden you have one of the most epic crashes in the markets. What do you remember of that? Uh, I remember a couple of things. One thing is that back then, this was just before we got a Bloomberg or had some access to a terminal. And so we would have closes written on a sheet of paper. The closing price for stock was of paramount importance. And what happened during the day, you may or may not know what happened because the quotes weren't quite that easy to get. Not like now when you look at it on your phone. But I do remember it was a Friday afternoon and all of a sudden, this didn't look good for Monday. And I remember Monday was a total meltdown. But between Monday and Tuesday uh, of, of, of that uh, October 87, it was um, just a bloodbath. But at some point, value makes sense and metrics make sense. And I think that's still an important theme in the market today. Uh, it was about two weeks ago on a Monday, matter of fact, where the market had a, a, a semi-minor meltdown and uh, a lot of the more fragile investors went running for the hills. Right. But you know, value came back and uh, metrics were applied and certain logic um, came into the market. And I think that's always important for investors to think long-term. Mm-hmm. So you do have this long-term focus, um, but it was interesting because when I asked you if you have like a target time period, uh, you really kind of let things play out as they will, you know, as long as the trend is working and uh, your thesis stands. Um, what, what kinds of things are you looking at to kind of build your thesis of the stocks that you're choosing? What, what deserves a spot in your portfolio? Um, you mentioned that you talked to management, but what, what kind of metrics are you using to kind of get a sense of, hey, this is a company that um, may be undervalued by the market or has a lot of growth potential? Uh, Anything you could share with us? Well, I think prior to looking at metrics, you want to look at what products or services a company offers. Uh, think in terms of a moat that term's been used before, but I think that's yeah. important. Patent protection or some uh, product that they have that just can't be replicated very easily, and or they've got a link to their customers, uh, to those that they provide these services or these goods to. Uh, a great example of that would be. Um, Pool Corporation. Uh, that's that's right. not one of the three that we had discussed earlier, but it's interesting. They sell supplies, uh, they're distributors of supplies for uh, pools. And rarely do people fill in pools. And as we know, those of us who own pools, they always need maintenance. So this company is bigger than the next 25 competitors combined. Their margins are fairly thin, but they can deliver the product all the time. As they say, everything but the water. And that's what you guys do. It's a great, uh, great business, great business model. Well, and, and bring, bringing up that, that pool example, because it, it has been very interesting what the company's been doing, just consolidating that industry. Really over the last year or so, you've seen a number of other pool companies start to come out public, like a Leslie right. uh, and a Hayward and stuff like that. What, what, what are your thoughts about that? I, I thought that was just really interesting. And all of a sudden, a number of these other companies are now coming out public and they want to almost challenge pool uh, on, you know, on their level. Well, one thing about lessons, it's the second time they've been public 
and I've been doing this long enough where I know these sort of that's things. Awesome. That's <laughs> right. awesome. That, that's awesome. I remember one, them. And the others remember, uh, Leslie's is a pool retailer as opposed yep. to a pool distributor. So a little bit different. So yep. they've got front facing towards the customers and their margins are a little bit higher, but their sales aren't quite as high. So a great company, don't mistake me. But again, what we've seen in the last year are two things. One, it's a great opportunity to go public. So if anybody's thinking of going to public, you got to get that uh, get that stock out the door before uh, the, the opportunities uh, crash. Right. And then the other is um, it's it's been an interesting environment for uh, nesters, let's call them, uh, people who can't take the trip to Europe or whatever they might do with their disposable cash. So they say, let's you know improve the pool. Let's put in a pool, as the case may be. So so companies like Pool and Leslie's have really had the the wind at their backs in terms of driving sales, et cetera. Um, there are plenty of other companies like that, but it's all, you know, people have cash uh, or a lot of people have cash. I don't mean to say that cash is flush for everyone, but the consumer in general has a lot of cash and wants to spend it. And the usual way they've been trying to spend it has been blocked. So they're being creative and they're going to spend it one way or the other. I mean, this is America. And at the end of the day, and people are capitalistically driven and they will spend. Right. No, it makes right. a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So this kind of gets into this idea of some of these trends. So, I mean, you were talking about, I mean, some of this could be, you know, due to COVID. Uh, some of this is, you know, maybe there's generational things happening with some of these trends. Are there any particular trends that you're looking at right now? And, you know, when we were talking before, you kind of said something about wanting to go for a trend with some sustainability as opposed to a fad. And maybe you can talk about how you can tell the difference. It is a little hard to do. Um, one of the problems right now is obviously we don't know when COVID or the Delta variant is going to end. Uh, right. With that knowledge, then you can make some pretty obvious choices. Um, what we try to do is to find companies that are that are undervalued, which is obvious. And so that means that you, what you might see in some of our stocks are some where the the tape the 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 chart doesn't look so good. Meaning a lot of people assume that if a company is hitting 52-week lows, that it's, quote, a bad company. And there's a big difference between a bad company and one that's undervalued. You've got to look at the underlying metrics, uh, a ratio of the, uh, well, the price-to-earnings ratio to the growth rate, for instance. Uh, you want to make sure uh, paramount importance is good management. Who's in charge? What are they able to do? Uh, on the other hand, if it's bad management, are they going to be tossed out? But I'd prefer not to see a change in management. I'd prefer to see good people at the helm before we buy. Mm -hmm. Now that right. makes a lot of sense. And what about inflation? Just uh, how is that playing into to your analysis or your or your stock picking? Well, or more we so be, inflation fears, I guess. Yeah, right exactly, now, sure, sure. exactly. Yeah. Well, we, we tend to be bottom up investors as opposed yeah. to top down, and top down investors are those that look at the economy, look at interest rates, try to predict which sectors are going to do well or which may have trouble. On the other hand, what we look for are companies that will do well in generally any sort of environment. So mm -hmm. uh, inflation is generally bad, but worse than inflation is deflation. And again, if this Delta variant stays with us much longer, we could have a deflated economy. And we really haven't had that in a long time, but uh, students of economic history would agree that if you look at the depression, uh, really, the only way we came out of that was through a world war, right. and it took right. us that long to do it. And I don't see war on the horizon, and I don't want anything like that, obviously, but uh, deflation is very, very hard to tame. 
but that's where we are right now in terms of interest rates. And we see that worldwide. It's not just in the US. Uh, we've seen negative interest rates in uh, Italy, in Germany, uh, Japan uh, for, for some years. Yeah, right. So um, this, uh, we're not out of the woods yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you know what? We're going to get a chance to talk about some of these trends that you're seeing. And again, why you're seeing some of these stocks that are at 52 lows, maybe, uh, and what value you're seeing in them. So we'll do that right after the break. Kicking yourself for that early exit? You can prevent them. And it's easier than you think. Go to freestockcoaching.com to see the tool independent traders are using to perfect their trades. Artificial intelligence. AI doesn't involve staring at your screen for hours, and no research is needed. Just pick a stock and press a button. Visit freestockcoaching.com to see a live demo now. You need to be ready for rapid market changes, and AI can help you avoid potential losses. Check out freestockcoaching.com to learn more. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Welcome back to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here, along with Arusha Pires and our guest today, George Young from Villery and Company. So, George, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the stocks on your radar. And again, this is going to be a little bit different for many members of our audience. Uh, we'll go ahead and start with Paya. And this is P-A-Y-A -A is the ticker symbol on this one. So Arusha will pull this up for me. And, you know, the first thing that I noticed is it had this, uh, you know, long, long period of not doing anything. It looks like it, you know, had a, a nice move in 2020 and it's uh, just kind of languished for a while uh, since then. And of course, this is in the, the credit card payments, which a lot of people, of course, are talking about PayPal, Square, these big behemoths. Um, what attracts you to one of these smaller players? Sure. Well, it's not just credit cards. They're also debit cards and ACH transactions. Right. And they're happy to do smaller uh, transactions and also work with smaller players in that transaction business. So this would be nonprofits. Uh, this would be smaller merchants, that sort of thing. Their fees are particularly low and the typical credit card fees are, are particularly high right. and uh, transaction oriented smaller businesses have been kind of left by the wayside. So this is something that Paya uh, has, has glommed onto. Uh, they are able to serve uh, 120,000 different merchants right now. And again, all of them are small. So there's no um, concern about one particular client dropping off as you might have with some big businesses, an airline business, Boeing, right. for instance, that sort of thing. So uh, they're poised for growth management is fantastic, been in place for a while. They just reported our earnings the other day. Uh, they're up 37% in terms of revenues. That's partly based on, on uh, recent acquisition, but organic growth has been about 18% um, in, in revenues. It's a small cap company. And that's one of the problems with small cap companies is that they are somewhat underfollowed. So it takes right. a little while and it takes some, you know, show me who's boss before people jump onto it and understand what they're doing and buy into the stock. But mm -hmm. that's the world we live in. We tend to be more small mid cap focused. Well, and especially so just in terms of liquidity, uh, this is uh, roughly a $10 stock. It trades on average about 1.2 uh, million uh, shares a day. So maybe about $10 million in dollar volume. Uh, so oh, yeah. you might not have some of the larger institutions in this. Um, and, and so again, that, that, does that ever get to a point where you find it a little bit harder to get in or uh, build a position 
in a stock oh. like this when there is less liquidity? Yes, only every day. <laughs> it's something <laughs> right. we live with. Uh -huh. it, it really is. It, it's, it's really sort of strange because a, a number of uh, mutual fund companies or a number of investment advisors really relegate themselves to the larger cap stocks because they right. want to be able to fill in positions effortlessly and mm -hmm. without moving the market at all. So yes, we have to be uh, very careful about that and to make sure that um, our, our clients, we manage about $2 billion altogether. So yes, it's the lower end of our threshold of what we can buy. But on the other hand, it's something that has the opposite effect. Once we've built the position and we expect that in due course, they'll report good earnings revenues, then that means the stock will be pushed upward. And that same uh, 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 lack of liquidity that worked against us works in our favor. So we, we respect that and we understand and we try to uh, take our time. Sometimes it may take us 20, 30 days to build a position, but we have patience. And again, our time horizon is three to five years. So with that sort of time horizon, it's okay if it takes us a little while to build a position. Right. And how many positions do you usually hold in your yeah. portfolio? We're, we're a little more concentrated than most. So we might have 20 to 25 positions uh, in a given account. Yeah, that's pretty aggressive. Uh, it is. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we tend to know the companies pretty well, yeah. and we tend to have uh, a good dialogue with management. Now, again, as, as you might expect, you're, you're going to get a one-sided story from management, right, but it's right, helped right. to understand what they do and, and how, they, um, how they perform, and um, it, it is good to have that relationship nonetheless. Speaking of management, what about risk management? Uh, how do you, is, is there a point where you know where you're wrong? So, so a, a stock like Paya, you might have a four or 5% position in it. Is there a, a cutoff point where uh, you, you're like, okay, th this is, this is, we have to cut it now. We have to start slowly getting out of it. Right. Well, I think there are generally three categories that, that a sell position would fall into. Uh, one, if we buy it and let's use the idea of 20 stocks per position. So we buy a 5%. Uh, it represents 5% of a client's portfolio. If we're lucky, smart, however you want to term us, and it ends up being a 7, 8, or even a 10% position, that's a good problem. We'll cut that back. Now, we will cut it back. We're, we're, we're sensitive to capital gains rates, so we'll cut it back when we've held it more than 12 months as a general statement. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one, one, one event. The other event would be our thesis is wrong, and we have to you know, own up to that at some point. What we thought was going to happen didn't happen, uh, or sometimes there uh, exogenous factors that get in the way of uh, the CEO dying of cancer. I think that happened twice with McDonald's. These things happen. And sometimes a company, a smaller company might not be able to recover. Sometimes we're just wrong in our thesis and that's it. And then the third category would be where uh, something does pretty well, but we see that there's a competitor or another uh, um, investment that we prefer to have. So that means we have to make room for it. We'll sell that position or maybe even cut it in half and buy that other position that we think represents a better opportunity. Mm -hmm. Is there ever a point in which you're, you're still, you still believe your thesis is right. You still think that everything is good with the company, but the, the market just doesn't agree with you, you know? And so uh, yeah. is there ever a point in which you might use just the price of the stock and say, we can't afford to, uh, I guess, stay with this position because we're just losing money. Right. Well, yeah, it, it brings to mind there's an old adage, stocks are seldom cheap and popular at the same time. So <laughs> you have to balance that. Uh, we see in this bull market right now, a lot of stocks are, quote, popular, uh, and some continue to, buying, to buy them. Um, they're certainly not cheap, and there are others, just the opposite, 
the, the stock price is doing terribly, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad stocks, as I said earlier. And that's particularly true uh, of these small cap stocks where they're somewhat underfollowed. Wall Street doesn't necessarily follow them unless there's been a follow-on offering and they're indebted to a, an investment bank and they need to follow those. But a lot of times that doesn't necessarily happen. So there's a lot of opportunity to small cap stocks. And again, that lack of liquidity, sometimes you have a big sell that comes in and needs to get out by the end of the quarter for window dressing purposes. And there's an opportunity to buy that stock. So we, we, we're always mindful of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go ahead and turn our attention to eHealth. The ticker symbol on this is EHTH. Um, and this is another one that uh, the, the, the market is certainly uh, not rewarding this one uh, at this point. It's 50% off of its 52-week high. Um, and what, what is it that's, that you're finding compelling about this story? I mean, it certainly has revenues about a hundred million uh, per quarter. Uh, so that is in place, um, but earnings have been a little bit spotty in terms of the growth. Uh, what is it that you see here? Right, well, the first thing I understand is what they do. They offer Medicare supplements. So right. when, when a, a US citizen turns 65, they're entitled to Medicare. Medicare is, is great, but there are a lot of uh, things that it doesn't cover. So uh, the vast majority of participants decide they need to get some form of Medicare supplement. So then it begs the question of how do they make that decision? So there are 11,000 people, 11,000 Americans turning 65 every day. So a vast majority of those are going to buy Medicare supplement. And if they do their research, uh, that's great if they know what they're doing, but that's a rarity that somebody knows what they're doing. So eHealth hooks them up with the correct uh, provider. And they've got 170 different carriers that they're involved with. And they're agnostic as to where somebody goes. And the decisions as to where someone should buy their supplement is based on where they live, uh, what their health needs are, uh, and, and uh, you know, what they can afford to pay. So eHealth has trained um, um, op operators, I'll call them, because sometimes they go by phone, sometimes they go by internet uh, to market to these folks. Uh, to try and find them. There's an annual enrollment period every year in October, and uh, that's the time in which you as a participant can change from your previous uh, carrier and decide what fits for you. So the focus here is on what they call the churn rate, and the churn rate is a, a nettlesome sort of number because, uh, as the name implies, people get out of one carrier into another one. So what eHealth is trying to do is to uh, make sure that they uh, have a, a relationship with all these different carriers and to make sure they sell properly to that person that's buying the Medicare supplement. Well, and, and you know, as, as you said, you know, this is not necessarily an easy thing to navigate. Uh, personally, I was you know, trying to help my father-in-law with some of the decisions, and I consider myself a fairly smart guy. And man, I, you know, that, oh, that is not it's, easy. It's mesmerizing. <laughs> I yeah. just, I, I don't understand. Like, you know, oh my gosh, this, uh, th this is something that a lot of people do. Like, really? <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, there's an interesting couple of wrinkles to this story. So as you say, um, the stock price does not look good at the moment if you're a chartist, if you look at the technicals. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, what's happened is two activist investors have gotten involved. And okay. uh, they're fairly vocal. And uh, as I think you both know, active investors um, are, are fairly aggressive. And then interesting, they also uh, were able to, um, uh, to, to borrow money uh, on a preferred basis from yet another company. So they've got three involved parties 
who are going to take this very seriously. They've got board seats. Uh, so it, it ought to be pretty interesting to see what happens in this annual enrollment period two months from now. Uh, but we are, we're enthusiastic. I think management knows what they're doing. I think they've got a uh, good sales technique. And again, um, it, it's a difficult sale because the 65-year-old today is getting information from a large variety of sources, right. including their sons-in-law, for instance, uh, <laughs> and uh, others. That don't know telephone. much. <laughs> <laughs> it's, an interesting, it's an interesting sales technique and, and one that's a little tricky, but uh, sales by nature are, are somewhat tricky. Where was this idea attractive to, to your firm? Say it again. I'm sorry. What, what, where was this idea? Where, when did it start looking attractive to you? I'm, so I'm assuming, you know, back in 2020, uh, it, it was probably way overvalued uh, for, for your metrics. But yep. what, was it the last few months that all of a sudden it started coming up on your radar? And, well, and that's technically, this, this is the second time we've been in this stock because okay. we bought into it uh, approximately a year and a half ago. I think it was in April of 2020. Okay. Uh, and it was one of the unusual opportunities to sell it in, I believe, September or October or so where we, we sold on a short-term basis. Again, as I said before, that's a little unusual for us. We're predisposed to hold out for long-term gains. And then we got back into the stock about two months ago. Yes, I'm disappointed with okay. what's happened so far. But on the other hand, as I mentioned, the activist investors getting involved, and then also this um, uh, recent um, um, underwriting that was done by an outside investor, I think it's going to prove very fruitful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, because I, I remember that this stock has been interesting in the past. It's come up on my radar years ago. Right. Uh, it, uh, it, now, the, the e-health seems to be the clear leader in this space, too, I think, yes. if I remember correctly. That they, they do have competition, of course, but yes. I believe they're the leaders, yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm just a brand name, I think, that these guys have just kind of stuck out versus some of the other competitors sure. within the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's go ahead and turn our attention to uh, T-Tech. And the ticker symbol on this is T-T-E-C. And uh, again, this is, uh, this, is, this is kind of still in that growth phase. The, the, the market is rewarding this one. And so yes. is this one where you're starting to think about selling or is this one where you're like, hey, this still has a lot of runway uh, left in it and, mm. and, and could go a lot further? We think it's got a lot of runway. Um, it's interesting for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one, it is a gross stock. However, it does pay about a 2% dividend. Mm-hmm. Also, it's a little unusual. One of the reasons for the lack of liquidity is the fact that the founder, uh, who's about, I think he's about 60 years old, uh, he still owns about 60% of this company. Wow. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why there's not much float to the stock. There's not much liquidity is yeah. because he owns such a large amount. That's a bit unusual. Um, now, Obviously, as a founder, CEO, majority owner, uh, we as investors are taking a little bit of a risk. What if he uh, isn't there tomorrow? What, 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 what if something happens to him? But on the other hand, having uh, addressed that question, they uh, have others who will be able to take his place because it's a large company and they understand that vulnerability. So we're, we're, we're satisfied with that. Now, one way to look at also is that he has a high degree of conviction in what he's doing and what his company is able to do. So, you know what, maybe let's get into that a little bit. What is yeah. it that they do? Sure, sure. So they're, they're in the business of, of helping uh, businesses customer enhancement, customer engagement. So that's making sure that customers are satisfied to the beginning of the end of the relationship. So maybe a good analogy would be a car dealer. Uh, you buy a car from that dealer 
And after that, they obviously make more money on the service component. So they want to make sure that the customer is engaged from the beginning. The appointments are properly set. The customer is properly thanked. Uh, arguably, there's a bothersome survey that you get. Was oil changed correctly, timely manner, that sort of thing. And hey, let's schedule your next opportunity to come in, service the car again. And hey, by the way, if you had a good experience, please let us know. Uh, make sure that a friend can be referred for the service component or to sell a car. So I think that's probably the the the, the engagement that uh, most most of your your viewers would understand, um, and that makes perfect sense. I think we've all answered those surveys before. And this is a company <laughs> right. that's been doing it for some years, and they've been doing it successfully. So they have uh, 150 different customers they work with. They're growing the customer base daily, and they're growing the customer relationships daily, also. And and the revenue here, just you know, so so people that are on not watching the video can see uh, or understand. This is looking at about 500 million per quarter of revenue. And if you just kind of look at the growth numbers, you've got a lot of blue here, where the the growth has been double digit for for seven quarters on the revenue side, and you know more than eight quarters on the earning side in terms of the growth, uh, with some triple digit uh, gains in their uh, growth numbers. Uh, just a few quarters ago, so de definitely a big, uh, a big grower in terms of both the earnings and the revenue. Uh, so again, they, they they must be doing something right, and this is one where the the stock is being rewarded uh, with with a lot of price appreciation over the last year. Yes, great, great. Well, I mean, the the first thing that I immediately think about is just the importance for any business on retention, and yeah, so right. this engagement. Uh, the cost, the cost of a customer, uh, yeah, a new customer is always a lot more than keeping a, a current customer. So this does make a lot of sense, especially the analogy that George uh, used right there, uh, getting people engaged and keep helping them develop that habit. Uh, and so that is a, a really valuable service service for a lot of businesses. To, yeah. And to are they targeting more small businesses or larger business or does it run the gambit? Oh, it's generally larger businesses. Okay. Um, and that's a good question because we talked about Paya before. Yeah. Their niche is really the smaller right. uh, businesses. No, mm -hmm. T-Tech, uh, they, they want the big businesses. They, they want to help them retain the large customers, keep the databases, et cetera. Mm -hmm. George, what about some other competitors? Are, are there other major competitors out there that are really competing for those large businesses? Um, not really. This one's a little bit unique where uh, a little bit unique it, it's either unique or it's not this is a, <laughs> this, this is a unique business where they're not that many competitors and that's made their sales process a little bit easier where yeah. there are not many that are out there that can prove and they can demonstrate uh that the customer expertise and enhancement that they bring to the table has been successful and benefited directly to uh, to, to their customers Great. Uh, well, George uh, Young, I really want to thank you for being with sure. us today. Again, George Young is with Villery and Company. He's a partner and portfolio manager there. Um, you mentioned your Villery Balanced Fund. Uh, what, what is the ticker symbol on that uh, for people That's, that wanted to look into that? Thanks for asking. V-I-L-L-X, Villery yes. Balanced Fund. And then you also have another fund. Um, what, what is the ticker on sure. your, your other fund? Villery Equity Fund, and that's V-L-E-Q-X. Okay. Very good. So uh, people wanting information can certainly uh, go to your website and uh, we'll go ahead and make sure we post all of that information uh, for them in the show notes and also when we uh, send this out on Twitter. So uh, thanks again for being with us, George. Great. Right. Yeah, Thank you. Okay. And when we come back, we'll go ahead and take a look at the markets, uh, Rusha and I, and kind of 
talk about some of this rotation that we're seeing under the surface. Why trade off hope and optimism when you can trade using the world's most powerful indicator? Artificial intelligence has been used by traders to navigate the markets for the past three decades. Visit freestockcoaching.com to see the world-leading AI forecasting software for yourself. Trusted by more than 32,000 traders, AI uses millions of data points to track market trends, giving you the support you need right now. Go to freestockcoaching.com and we will help you find great opportunities today. Our experts will show you what stocks are setting up for big changes right now. So head over to freestockcoaching.com for a free demo. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Welcome back to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Vantage Point. I'm your host, Justin Nielsen, and joining me is Arusha Pires, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, as my weekly special guest star. And so, Arusha, let's get into the market. Uh, it was a little bit of a hit to growth uh, today. You know, it's been taking a little bit of a break, but it's hard to fault it given the moves we've had in a lot of these stocks. But just seems like we're, again, feeling a little rotation-y. Would you say? Yeah, I guess you could say that. It, it, it almost seems like it's par for the course. Right. But you, you have a few weeks with uh, the growth stocks, the tech-related stocks, having some really strong moves. And then you kind of go back to all the cyclical stocks mm -hmm. starting to, to work again. But uh, just to be clear, I mean, the NASDAQ, it, it doesn't look like it's in trouble at all. I mean, it was down a little bit no. today. Um, it's still trending above that 21 day moving average line. It keeps on touching it and, you know, finding support there, um, except for the one brief little jaunt it had below it uh, uh, at the end of July. So, you know, in terms of the indexes, in, in some ways, the indexes aren't really showing this rotation that's happening underneath. No, usually when you see the indexes trending like this, our type of stocks, these tech-related growth stocks, will are, are going through the roof. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily the case this time. It, it's the indexes have masked what's going underneath the surface with all this kind of rotation going back and forth. And it, though the market continues to be heavily news sensitive, and so whenever there's some good news or bad news about COVID or interest rates or whether we're, uh, whether the real economy is, is right. gonna be okay, or everyone's gonna have to work from home for the next year. Uh, you have these pretty crazy shifts back and forth. And, and so that, that makes it hard if you are following a more of a trend following system, mm -hmm. because if you hang around too long and, and too long is not that long in, in this type of market, uh, a lot of those gains that you might've had in a few, a uh, couple of days, I mean, a couple of weeks, you can lose in a couple of days. Right. It, it's certainly easier to do trend following when the trend is lasting weeks as opposed to yes. something you're doing on an intraday chart. Uh, so, yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, this trend lasted on a 30-minute chart and you know, then it was over in a few days. So how are you positioning yourself? Are you just raising cash while some of these growth names uh, take a little bit of a break? And are, or are you getting into some of these cyclical plays? I mean, uh, you know, we should just mention, like, for example, uh, the, in the materials, I mean, the steel stocks yeah. have just been going crazy. I mean, Nucor, uh, ticker symbol NUE, is one that we have on Swing Trader. Uh, that, you know, that's had a phenomenal three days, and it's not alone. Uh, Steel Dynamics, uh, STLD, is also in there. Uh, so again, you've got the, the, these were the stocks that were really leading at the, from really November 
to, uh, you know, while the NASDAQ was suffering, these were doing very well. And, and now it just seems like they're back and in new high territory. Yeah, the last couple of weeks, I've actually, instead of just, and I normally, a lot of times when my type of stocks go out, and I'm generally more tech biased than anything else. Right. Like, I understand those companies, that, that's what I kind of gravitate towards. Either you can get excited or, about them, too. I get it's excited like, oh, this about is cool. Them. Exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, so tech ones or, or retail, those, those are the two that I, I yeah. generally do better at. But last week, or really the last couple of weeks, I've, I've tried to force myself to get some cyclical exposure. And mm-hmm. so both Nucor and Steel Dynamics, I have both of them because uh, I didn't know which one is really better. So I bought a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, so I do have positions of those. Unfortunately, they're not huge positions to completely make up for the losses right. that I've taken on the, the te- uh, on the tech side. But what I decided like a couple of weeks ago was just more to try to have a hybrid kind mm-hmm. of straddle uh, and diversify. And Let's call exactly. it diversification. It diversify, yeah. yeah, I don't want, I have. <laughs> well, diversify <laughs> still not, not diversify in position sizes or have 30%. Right. Posi- just diversify on, on industry exposure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so really over the last few weeks, I've just started to notice more of these, especially the steel stocks. So it's like, okay, steel was in the top five industry groups. They had really strong prior uptrends before, you know, in that previous run. And they were mm-hmm. just consolidating building bases. Now in the back of my head, there's a lot of doubt though. It's like, ah, could steel really keep going up? Uh, but this is where you kind of go and trust the charts and mm-hmm. say, look, they have huge earnings, they have huge sales, they have great margins. And I mean, I have it on the, the daily chart here on MarketSmith and it, all of these numbers are, are accelerating, right? They're getting better and better. So I just kind of went back to the system really and said, okay, they're not necessarily growth stocks, but they have great earnings, great sales and, and a strong prior uptrend. So let's start building positions to them. But I didn't they have certainly s- have the cancel qualities right now. You know, yeah, EPS rating of 95. Yeah, I was at the deposit rating of 99. Yeah. Uh, so I, I it, so those were all going through my head, but I didn't have like the complete faith that I usually have because it's just out of my wheelhouse. So I just went a little bit smaller in both of these positions than I normally would. Uh, and I, I do regret that because who would have ever thought that they would jump up so high like this? But um, that that's where you just kind of have to sometimes you just have to be there. Yeah. Right. And and go and follow the system, follow the rules, because a lot of times your emotions can sabotage you. Right. And and say, oh, no, how, how could this work? And you can talk yourself out of this. At least this way I got some of it and didn't completely miss out of it like I usually do. <laughs> well, and uh, we should also mention that, again, it does feel like there has been news kind of tossing things to and fro. And of course, this week, um, one of the big news items was this infrastructure bill. You know, I mean, it's we, we've known it's been out there for a while, but yeah. it's, you know, a matter of it, it getting passed. And so one of the things that certainly was looking interesting, if we just take a look at XLI, which is one of the spider sector funds uh, that, you know, looks at industrials. And this kind of looked like, again, one of those things where it had been kind of taking its break. This had such a strong move at the beginning of the year and was really doing well when the NASDAQ wasn't, but then uh, it, it didn't do much. And now it seems like it's it's coming back on a little bit stronger. Yeah, it, Justin, it's funny. I actually bought this too today. 
Uh, where it so, was, so I'm it basically was, going through your portfolio. Huh? You are. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, I, did someone give you my login or something? <laughs> right. uh, so it got through a little bit of a resistance area past that 104.50 type of level. And so I already had some of the steel stocks, but then I, you, you just start seeing more of these industrials start working. But I didn't know exactly what to buy. So I was like, okay, let me just get some exposure. So I, I bought a little bit of XLI just to get that while I figure out more of kind of who might be the more of the leaders in the industrial space. Well, certainly today, one of the ones that stuck out to me was uh, United Rentals, yes. um, URI. And, you know, of, of course, you, you look at it and you, you're like, wait a minute, commercial services leasing. Well, you know, they're renting some of this big equipment uh, that, that people are using uh, for construction. So that's, that's why they get placed in that industrial space. And, uh, you know, this is one that's you know, coming right up to its old highs. Um, it had earnings, you know, that's out of the way, uh, strong earnings report. Um, we've been talking on IBD Live about Caterpillar, uh, C-A-T and Deer, D-E, you know, so both of those um, look like they're coming back. You know, Deer is uh, certainly in a little bit stronger position, um, whereas Caterpillar has just gotten back above its 50-day moving average line. Um, but was there any other areas that stuck out to you? Well, I was going to just first mention you, not only do you have access to my portfolio, you probably have access to my watch list too. Okay, perfect. I was yeah, looking yeah. Up, I nearly bought URI today. Well, it, uh, it's, it's easy when you use password as your password, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but it's, I nearly, I nearly bought URI today, but I, I, I just had a, Take a step back and say maybe I should read about it a little bit more. The re but the reason why I it was almost a spontaneous buy is because you, I just remember in the past. And let me just go to the weekly. Maybe you can see some of the trends there. Yeah, this I, is. I just remember your I trend that can trend really right. well. I mean, it, it trended well in 2020, but even years before, I even like I want to say like back in 2010, 2011. URI just trended, oh, I was 2012, 2013. It just trended a lot better than I ever imagined. So it's just one of those stocks that's in the back of my head that I know that the character of the stock can trend. Uh, so this is definitely something I'm keeping an eye on. Now, Deer, uh, Deer had that amazing uh, start, at, well, amazing end to 2020 and the start to 2021. So when you see such a strong prior uptrend there, I think it's natural to assume that Wow, this went from a hundred and doubled. Yeah, one hundred and sixty dollars <laughs> up to doubled <laughs> exactly up to four hundred dollars or almost four hundred dollars, more than a double. Uh, it's easy to assume that it can't keep going up, right? But in the end, none of us really know. But we do know where to get into them, and sometimes you have to just take those shots and see what happens. Now, the thing with a, a deer is they're reporting earnings in nine days. So uh, it gets a little bit trickier, but you, you, if it does break out, it's forming this cup right now. If it were to break out in the next couple of days, you could potentially try it and hope that you get a run into earnings. So you have a little bit of cushion to hold into earnings. Yeah. And we might as well just go ahead and mention, uh, you know, one of the other things that seemed to be getting our attention today was uh, the home builders. XHB is a ETF that tracks the home builders. Um, you know, so that that's also looking set up. And again, I don't blame you for being a little gun shy here because again, with this rotation, what's happened sometimes is you'll have these work and set up and they work for three days and then it's like back to growth or whatever. So it can be, it can be difficult, but certainly uh, two, two stocks that kind of caught my attention 
uh, today uh, were Lenar, uh, ticker symbol L-E-N, and uh, DHI. So Lenar was, of course, kind of coming out of that coupled handle formation, and uh, you know, DR Horton would look very similar. Um, not quite as close to its its previous highs, um, but but still, you know, crossing an area of resistance and and looking strong for both of those. And again, it wasn't just these stocks; it was other stocks in the group that were also looking strong. And actually, across uh, a lot of the building uh, sector. Right now, uh, I actually bought for XHB. I bought a little bit there um, just to get exposure for the home builders. Uh, Lennar is the one that I have been watching. I, I think I mentioned in IBD Live maybe a few weeks ago and uh, right before, I wish I bought it because right before it popped. Uh, but that that seems to be the leader of the home builder group. So so that's something I'm just keeping an eye on right now. Uh, but yeah, the, all these stocks, they're just kind of telling the story that, yeah, maybe this rotation uh, might last a little bit longer. Uh, right kind of like the beginning of the year where they, they, these were the stocks that were able to trend pretty well. And maybe those tech stocks need to pull back and, and chop around a little bit more. Yeah. And again, this is one of the things where, I mean, this market at least seems like uh, when when one group is, you know, giving you giving you those uh, sideways sideways moves, um, there's other groups that are kind of taking up the, the reins. And, and that's why we're seeing the indexes a lot of times push to new highs, even when could be different groups that are leading that. And I, it just reminds me again of 2017 a little bit because I feel like there was some of that rotation happening there. Whereas if you looked at the indexes, you didn't see it. You know, the S&P right. 500 was you know, barely correcting uh, much more than 3%. And so we'll see if we're in a similar environment. And I mean, we're, we're taping this on Wednesday after the close. We'll see if this holds through uh, tomorrow when we post, right? Because <laughs> again, that, these trends true. have been changing so much. Yeah, well, one thing that I've been trying to tell myself when I'm analyzing stocks, and this is something that I kind of drifted away from for years, was, okay, put more importance to the industry group ranking. And I feel like at least for these last few weeks, that's led me more into the right direction by right. looking at steel stocks, which are in the top five. And a number of these other stocks that I've started to slowly buy, they're more in the top 40 industry groups. I've placed more weighting on them versus where I just usually place more weighting on the stocks themselves. But it just, over this whole year, if you had stuck with... 80, 90% of your stock purchases within the top 40, you probably would have avoided a lot of the frustration yeah. and the chop and slop that I've fallen uh, prey to this year. Yeah, absolutely. I would say one, one little caveat that I sometimes will add to that is if I see a lot of stocks in a particular group yes. um, you know, that are setting up, I'm like, oh, wow, here's a couple of handle, couple of handle. And you know, they're all in the same group. If, even if that's a little bit lower in the industry group, um, you know, I might take a look, hey, is it, is there a lot of stocks in that group and maybe there's few leaders, but they're weighed down by the other ones. Uh, you know, we were seeing some of that in semiconductors to a certain degree. You had some really big leaders, um, but then there were a lot of ones that just weren't doing that much. So uh, that's that's one thing to kind of just dig a little bit deeper. But uh, thank you so much, uh, Arusha, for sharing your insights and I, I guess sharing your portfolio in this case uh, for, for today's. Action. Well, I didn't intentionally share it. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, thanks for thanks for making an easy password for me to crack uh, crack and hack. Uh, 
<laughs> it's always appreciated. And that's it for this week's Investing with IBD podcast. On next week's show, it's going to be a good time. We've got Chris Gessel, the Chief Content Officer of Investors Business Daily. AKA and my boss, the man. Yeah, the, the man and oh, my boss. boss. So uh, everyone, please send in good comments uh, about me so that he uh, doesn't fire me. That'd be great. Uh, so we will uh, definitely see you next week. Uh, it's Justin Nielsen and Arusha Puris signing off. We'll see you next time. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.